Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Sobriety Unleashed podcast. I'm Simon Chappell. And I'm Ellen Wiz, part of Sobriety Sisterhood and Be Sober. And today, Simon, before we start today, we're talking about kind of friends and family and sobriety. But after last week's podcast, I had somebody like reach out and say, wow, the chemistry between you and Simon is really good. How do you two know each other? So I thought we'd cover that before we went on. Yeah, absolutely. We're not in a relationship, just to be clear. (laughs) (laughs) We're just like the new Richard and Judy is all. Yeah. (laughs) No, but we've been friends for like 20 years. Yeah, I think it might even be longer than that. And Ellen, you you used to work in a gym um, in the the town that I grew up in, which is Aldershot uh, here in the UK, probably. (laughs) Well, the less said about Aldershot, the better. Absolutely. that was where we first met and it's really bizarre because of course at the time neither of us knew what the other was drinking or our relationship with alcohol it was just you worked there and you you had quite a bit of time on your hands I'd come in and have a chat yeah (laughs) we would naturally I said the other day to um, the woman that actually you would come in and we would talk and talk and talk and talk so this podcast is just an extension of that we had yeah, we would happily sit and chat and you wouldn't do too much working out for a long while. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we didn't know about each other's drinking. Mine was a lot of cannabis smoking back then as well. Um, and it's funny that we knew each other in like a health and fitness setting. Yeah, probably neither of us would that help your fit in hindsight. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you did a great job of keeping me out of the gym, actually, because we'd spend hours talking. Yeah, that's really bad. <laughs> Yeah, um, and then the friendship sort of stuck from there. Uh, there was a period where we weren't in contact much other than on Facebook. And then, of course, bizarrely, we both ended up quitting drinking separately of each other and then yeah. reconnecting through sobriety. Yeah, absolutely. And I came to your wedding reception where I remember you were absolutely drunk as a skunk and, yeah. and I was drinking as well. And then to reconnect, you, you'd put something up. Um, like I've started this new Facebook group for those that are giving up drinking and I remember just shooting you a message saying like I'm five months alcohol free absolutely loving it and you saying oh like join the group um, that's fantastic and it all went from there yeah uh, exactly and then obviously now here we are recording the podcast we're live on YouTube again if you're listening to this it's another one of our live recordings we've been brave so and if you're watching live put a comment on let us know that you're here ask questions share what's coming up for you we'd love to hear it and yeah I remember the well I remember some of the wedding reception but that's a that's a good one yeah I was around my family and uh, you know the alcohol stole a lot of those memories of that day we started drinking really early and I only have sketchy memories of my wedding reception and that's that's really tragic and I also almost got thrown out of my own wedding for dancing on the table I remember that that's actually I think that's what you were doing as I walked into the wedding reception was dancing on the table um (laughs) and we were talking about my wedding yesterday with my mum and we we got married in Italy and had um an open bar and in Italy they were like you can drink as much as you like and it was six euros a head and I was like that can't be right but of course they didn't count on an English family like us who was just full of massive drinkers um drinking as much as we did and my family were taking bottles of spirits and yet 12 year old cousin was drunk and you know it really really as you said it stole so much of the memories 
Yeah, that's exactly what happens. And uh, yeah, it's, it's such a shame. And actually, today's topic is all about partners, family and friends. So it kind of leads us nicely in, into that topic around how alcohol can impact your relationships with your family, your partners, your friends. And it absolutely did for me. I think the the longer I continued drinking, the more disconnected I came from, became from my wife, from my closest members of my family, from everybody around me. And I imagine it was the same for you. Yeah, it was. And it was just all I associated with lots of those relationships. My brother, my cousin, my mum, even definitely my husband. I was just saying to you, I had been with my husband since I was 17. And ironically enough, I remember being in my 20s and saying to my husband, I think I have an issue with alcohol and him laughing and saying, no, you don't. You're not drinking in the mornings. You're not drinking like during the days. You're not hiding it you're just a normal drinker and it kept me stuck in that yeah. cycle for 20 years of thinking okay then I don't like the control it has over me but as long as I'm not hiding my drinking and I'm not drinking mornings there isn't an issue. Yeah and this is the problem and one of the things that commonly comes up when I'm coaching people is I think partners can inadvertently enable enable yeah. their spouse enable their boyfriend girlfriend whatever it may be you know and that that can keep you stuck for for a long time and i i think often it doesn't come from a place of malice or anything like that no. but they think unless we make it clear how important it is for us to move into an alcohol free lifestyle they're never going to know they're not mind readers that they, they don't know that so no they enable us absolutely and as you said it comes a lot of the time it comes from a place of love they think they're giving us exactly what we we want it's like going on a diet isn't it and saying right I, i'm gonna stop drink uh, stop eating these treats i need to need to lose some weight and the husband or wife saying no you don't you're perfect as you you are what can i get you what do you want and they yeah. think they're making you happy but actually they're keeping you stuck so as you say unless you really clarify your reasons which for me was just i didn't like the person I was I hated the feeling of being in my own skin and um that really really did keep me stuck yeah I, I remember I was working along the lines of what you just shared I was doing some one-to-one -one coaching with a lady and she had been alcohol free for quite a while but she hadn't been brave enough to really articulate to her husband how much it mattered how how important it was to her and she had a bit of a emotional meltdown over something not to do with alcohol and because he didn't know this he bought her a bottle of wine came home with it yeah. and started pouring it and of course it derailed her and yeah. it, you know then it took another week or two for her to get back on track um, if, if you're watching live on YouTube at the moment, do post some comments, questions. What's your relationship like with your partner? If you've quit drinking, has it improved your family or friends? Or if you haven't quit drinking, have you thought about this aspect? I often ask people the question, what's at risk? What might change if you quit alcohol? How are those relationships going to shift? Because I think Ellen, that, that can keep people stuck, right? It can. And I know we've got two like extremes of how a partner behaves when you quit drinking. I know that you had somebody who was extremely kind of um, supportive of that. I quit drinking and it did. I quit drinking and probably some subconsciously it was because my husband was drinking too much. There was a, a part of that and I felt that I couldn't raise it as an issue all the time that I was enabling that drinking like okay we would sit and we would drink but I could see that he was self-medicating with alcohol and I didn't feel like it I had to lead by example to a certain extent 
um, and be comfortable with who I was. And it did cause issues. And ultimately, as I gave up, it magnified what was going on with his drinking. Um, and I set boundaries of you cannot drink around me, around the children. Like if you choose to do that, it needs to be somewhere else. You can't be here. And it's been a really, really difficult journey because it's ultimately it's led to the end of my marriage. He, along with the mental health, he kept on saying, I don't have an alcohol issue. Now he was hiding vodka in his water bottle during the day. And he would say, I don't have an, al- al- uh, an issue with alcohol. You're just doing something that stops me being happy. And it kept on going back to that. It's the only thing that makes me happy and you're stopping me. Um, and it is really difficult. It's a really difficult time, but it's progress. I've managed to get out of a situation where it was just toxic. And I was with somebody who was self-medicating nonstop. Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose whilst you're, I think your situation is probably more the exception than the norm. Yeah. And I just want to be really clear about that. You know, most most people actually their partners are super supportive they often see what their partner's doing when they quit drinking and they often want a piece of the action they see that they they look great you know my their skin's improved they're happier they're calmer they want to know how they've done it and actually that was what happened with my wife you know she I mean she does still occasionally drink but she never had a problem with it but she's very much a a mindful drinker these days as opposed to a daily drinker which she was when I was drinking Um, I think my issue was and so obviously my wife's a totally different personality style to where you were at and she was quite laid back so I always knew that if I wanted to push, if I wanted to manipulate, I could go back to drinking. Yeah. Um, and it, so it really was vital for me to make it super clear to her how much this mattered. And I tried and tried and tried to quit. And then I'd say, oh, I'm going to go back to drinking. And I knew she'd be, oh, well, if that's what you want to do, that's okay. A bit like the diet example yeah. that you gave. So it, I knew it was on me to really say to her, look, I want to do this. It's so, so important to me. And I, yeah, almost like I want you to slap me around the face. Yeah, if it's I accountability, isn't it? Yeah. Partners, actually, the majority, mine was an extreme situation, but most people that I speak to, their partners are great accountability of partners. Once they realize how important it is, they can be your biggest cheerleader. And you say about um, like leading by example and people deciding that actually I want some of that action. Judy, who's in our group, uh, her husband gave up drinking what a year or so after she yeah. did, and he has just like switched. And they're the biggest advocates for giving up drinking in a partnership that works so well with both of them stepping into sobriety. And I also think it's a lovely thing as a couple when you've got that, you know, your thing. Like we, yeah. we're both alcohol free and we're both loving life. And it's like your sort of shared passion together. And of course you can have other shared passions, but yeah, when you see couples who are both alcohol free and there's a, a few that I know, I think that is uh, is pretty cool. It and is. again, they're probably the exception rather than the norm. I think in most cases, uh, all, we're, all we're hoping for is a partner who's going to support us and put their arm around our shoulder when we yeah. need them. Yeah, and the same, I had it because my mum lived with us and I remember saying to somebody, like, she hasn't even acknowledged my the fact that I don't drink anymore and nor had my husband at the time. And somebody pointing out to me, do you know what, this is your journey. This is about what you do and you should be proud of yourself. You don't need validation from anybody else. You do need support, but the likelihood is your partner's going to carry on drinking. Your journey is your journey and you need to be sure that actually I don't want to drink anymore. So what they do 
it is fine. Uh, but what I do is is what counts. I'm responsible for my actions. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think part of this journey in the oh, this sounds kind of weird, but I think part of this journey of personal growth and development is about learning to stand on your own two feet so you can get to a place where even if your partner wasn't around and obviously that's not what we're aiming for but even if your partner wasn't around emotionally physically you can look after yourself intellectually spiritually Uh, and that is where the kind of growth is so I often when I'm talking to people about their relationships with their partner I often say to them you know ask your partner if they'll support you ask them this but I always end it with ask them but know that they might not give you what you want and and that's okay (laughs) yeah you Um, can't um you can't expect something different from people you just you can only control what you do and how you respond to what they give you you can't expect people to change um and it is with friends and family they will find it very difficult especially when people are in that stage of shall i quit drinking and maybe you've tried to moderate or maybe you've tried to stop drinking and you haven't been clear and so you keep on going back to it and your friends and family it will take them just as much time to come to that kind of stage of change as it does for you all the time they know that they can like oh go on have a glass of wine it's fine you need to be really like firm in your actions no this is what I want this is why I want it and this is what we're going to do like for me, uh, one thing was just I never had my favorite drink in the, in the fridge. I would let people drink, but that was fine. I just didn't have my drink in the fridge because um, it wasn't temptation then. Yeah, and that's a really sensible strategy, just yeah. re- removing it from the house, you know, get, get it all out there. And actually, Ashley is on and she said, my enabling relationship with my partner is like a lo- likely a large part of why I've continued drinking. I'm not blaming because it's 100% my choice, but there is so much support in my drinking, um, less support less support in my sobriety so he supports the drinking as opposed to the sobriety he's proud of me when i'm on the wagon but still binges nightly and i see his relationship with alcohol more clearly so that creates friction between us it's hard to make out with a with a drunk adult when you're sober yeah yeah Um, and Ashley starting coaching with you tomorrow, Ellen. Yay! Can't wait, Ashley. <laughs> uh, and th- this is a huge thing with people because it does. It, it, it just puts a highlight on somebody's drinking uh, when you're sober. Um, and of course, it's scary for everyone when the association is that you drink together. And sometimes that whole relationship is set around. That's how we have a good time. That's how we have sex. That, you know, that's a big thing, like sober sex. But you will find new things as you go along or you won't you can only control your drinking you can't control his you can just set boundaries going forward and this is what i mean about what's at risk like sober sex often i avoid talking about it but if you if you think about that a lot of people use alcohol to loosen up and it it takes away our inhibitions sex feels a whole lot easier and more comfortable um and actually we can do things we regret when we've been drinking as well you know sleep with strangers or whatever stuff that's outside our boundaries but this is what i mean about what's at risk when you ask yourself that important question because i think some people subconsciously think do you know if i stop drinking how's that going to be what will that look like will will they want to have sex with me will i want to have sex with them and ashley's right it's hard to make out with a drunk adult when you're sober 
Yep. You know, they stink, they the booms, yep. and it is not and really it is not attractive. attractive. No, it's right. not attractive. That's that was one of the biggest things for me when I gave up drinking and started like for the first few months, I didn't go around people that were drinking hugely. And then I would start going to these events and I would look at people and I think it's so goddamn unattractive. The red wine lips, the yeah. kind of the um your personal space, people getting into it, people just yeah loud and sloppy I realized that that was not who I wanted to be I didn't want to be like that um but the only way you can find out if how things are is to just do it like you can see alcohol is always going to be there isn't it but just just see what happens when you give up alcohol for a little while and you don't need to tell him or yourself that it's forever it's just like I'm not drinking right now I'm going to see how this goes yeah that's sensible although Ashley's probably sat there thinking well if I don't tell him then sorry if I yeah if I don't mention it to him he's going to know because I'm sat there not drinking but then again he said he she said he is supportive and proud of me when I'm on the wagon but he still binges nightly so I think this is also about not attaching your emotional responses to anyone else you know don't don't worry about anyone else other than what you're doing and what your choices are and the likelihood is, as he sees you change and kind of step into your own light and feel empowered from the change you get with sobriety, he's going to start thinking, do you know what, I want to keep up with that. Um, and he will start to subliminate. You don't even need to, you can't control it. And I think that's really important with other people's drinking is you don't highlight their drinking at all. That is for them to choose. Um, but he will just want to keep up if you, that's what happens. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's, yeah, having having that kind of hope that as he sees you change, he starts to want a piece of the action. I mean, yeah. it doesn't always happen. Um, right. And it's part of that, that journey of growth. But generally, more often than not, it does happen. They start to pay attention. They start to, you know, look at what's going on here and think, actually, you know, she's happier. She's calmer. She's looking good. She'll look good. Yeah. That is a massive thing for people. When women start to like look good and feel good about themselves and their husbands can see that, hang on a minute. If I don't keep up with this, she's going to go and find somebody else who does pay her that attention that she needs. So I better get my ass into action. <laughs> Uh, Judy's on as well and Carolyn and they both just said we've just worked out how to comment so it's not nice, nice <laughs> hi guys um but friends and family as well so I had I think it'd be interesting to actually to bring some ex-family members onto the podcast at some point because I think that's a really interesting thing to see how relationships change with my cousin and my brother were my biggest drinking buddies and I still have fantastic relationships with them and it's different now and I now have a dry house because my boundaries changed I had no issue with people drinking in my house to start off with now I don't like it now I'm like no do you know what I don't drink I don't like being around drunk drink drunk people so I don't have alcohol in the house and people come to stay with me for weeks at a time and it changes things but it can change for the better too, because the things that I do with my brother and my cousin now are things that we would have never done before going kayaking, going hiking. They like right. pretend that they hate it, but actually we have just as good a laugh and um, the relationship's great. Oh, that's yeah, that's brilliant. And I actually did a YouTube video with my son. I've done one with my wife, done one with my dad, all talking about what it was like 
when I was drinking, how things have changed since I've quit. And it was so insightful hearing them really share openly, honestly, vulnerably about how they can't get my words out (laughs) about how how they felt and how how my behaviour impacted them. I think the biggest shocker was my dad not realising that as a teenager, I was taking his wine up into my bedroom and polishing off the the remains of the bottle. Didn't even know. No, we were talking about it with my mum the other night because my daughter's 14 and I was like at 14 we were making merry mixes so we were going into the parents liquor cabinets and pouring like a pint of mixed liquor and then we would all down that and we were being sick or we were drinking on the streets and my mum was like really yeah we were doing that it it is um as you said they're shocked by it but most people that love you I think when they see you change they are so proud of you yeah I think when they see that you can take control and they can see what you can achieve in sobriety anyone that loves you properly is just proud of that change yeah I couldn't agree more I think that's so true Judy just said I love the fact you're both wearing blue obviously if you're listening to the podcast you're not going to be able to see that but we are we're both in uh, coordination today (laughs) wasn't planned (laughs) and Carolyn said when I drank I felt guilty about my husband's drinking I thought I was enabling him turns out I wasn't he still drinks (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah, it's strange because my mum lived with us and we would get, when we moved to France, we would get a crate of white wine, a crate of rosé wine for me, white for my mum and red for my husband. And we would drink the crate each, each week we were getting that. Um, And so I just thought we came from a family of big drinkers, or not big drinkers because a bottle of wine a night was not a big amount to me. Six, Six bottles over the week. Yeah, that's fine. That was like a normal drinking habit. But actually... It took my mum a long time to realise that I was not drinking again. 18 months down the line, she would still be offering, this is your favourite wine, go on, taste it, taste it, taste it. And I was like, mum, I don't drink anymore. Um, But I've noticed that she doesn't ever drink around me now. Not ever. We go out to dinner every evening that she's here. She doesn't drink at all. So it's changed her habits. So we were probably enabling each other to a certain extent. And then, of course, at the start when you start introducing this topic of not drinking, she may well feel like, oh, it's you know, shining the light on my drinking. You know, yeah. Is she judging me? You know, is, is she better than me? And yeah. it, it can be quite uncomfortable for other family members and friends when we start talking about, well, we're not drinking. And of course, when I mean, people in the sober community are pretty much the least judgmental people I know. So there's none of that going on, but I can see why it might be perceived like that. Yeah, absolutely. And with friends, and I don't know if you get it. Sometimes I'll get people going, oh, sorry, I'm going to have a drink. Is that all right? I used to love drinking. It wasn't the case if I hated drinking. I was there. I loved it. I am, and there is zero judgment if you want to. Yeah, my drink. dad said that to me. And I said to him, if I was a vegan, you'd still have a burger if we were yeah. out for dinner, wouldn't you? So yeah. why is it any different? Yeah, it is funny. Um, but friends, I don't know about you, but my friend groups changed slightly when I gave up drinking and lots of people that I work with, this is a real fear of, I will lose my friends. Yeah. My friendship group has changed um, quite a bit. I mean, we actually moved to a new area as well. So I've made real efforts to kind of get into the community here and make new friends and new connections, but with things that aren't revolving around alcohol so Mm -hmm. like fitness groups and I I do stuff at the local church I get involved in all sorts of things and 
but there were a lot of friendships where they were glued together by alcohol in my sort of old life and they've just faded away into the background they weren't meaningful you know pe- people now I could there are people I can talk to about how I feel listen to how they feel what's going on in their lives people that I really care about yeah yeah 100% and I think when you start showing up as the true you you start expecting more from those that are around you as well you want to see the true them when your relationships are fixed around alcohol and only alcohol um, then you never see the true person and you're never representing yourself authentically and I think you start to look at relationships as well with like friendships and start thinking, you know, is this a bit superficial? What, yeah. like what's, I know, even in a selfish way, like what am I getting out of this? Yeah. What, what is it giving me? And don't get me wrong. I think it's okay to have those sort of superficial fun friendships you can dip in and out of. They're okay. But then I also think it's important to have the friendships where you can go a bit deeper with people and, and be able to be, as you said, vulnerable, open up about stuff. Um, right. There's a load more comments. So let's okay. just um, read a couple of those. Um, I've just managed to take them off the screen, though. So Alexandra said, I've cut down so much after hearing your advice last week. Thank you. My aim well is done. to stop completely. Yeah. So Alexandra, that was episode one. Now we're on episode two. So by the end of the series of um, season two you'll be fine absolutely and Ashley said thank you for your insights through this journey I'm realizing a lot of my sobriety is centered on releasing control and the codependency in my relationship and you're right my partner actually does see the positive changes in me and gets sober curious so I should focus on that yeah 100% I think that's so important and control is a big one yeah I think when, when we're able there's a song by Alanis Morissette called thank you and in that song she says the moment I let go of it was the moment I got more than I can ever know and yeah. at the top, first time I heard it didn't really mean much and every time I hear it now I realize that that was what I had to do I had to let go of control to get more than I could ever know and I yeah. really did I yeah. had to let go of it though and control god trying to keep control it creeps up on you you don't even realize you're doing it until until the wheels fall off and you can't control things and then you have to let go of uh, of control and yeah the universe will send you exactly what you need then yeah exactly control's a big one and it seems to come up time and time again through coaching and through this journey yeah um, and and actually even when we realize we've got a problem with alcohol and we know what's best for us we still try and cling on to some level of control yeah the one thing you can control is your choice not to drink yeah absolutely your response to um to what the situation that's the only thing you can control how you respond to everything Ron said, you can change your friendship group. Unfortunately, you can't change your family group. No, but you can set boundaries. And that's a really difficult one with people because they feel like they can't with family. We kind of brought up with this, um, they're your family and blood is thicker than water. But do you know what? Sometimes if that situation for you is not a great situation, you can set boundaries. When I was doing therapy, a lot of it was around my relationship with my mum, as it is for many people when they do therapy. (laughs) And she was either emotionally unavailable for me or she was emotionally overbearing. And I think as a child, she used me to meet a lot of her own emotional needs. And long story short, when I came into adulthood, there was a lot of emotional imbalance. (laughs) It's probably the nicest way of putting it about myself. And I actually 
made a decision through that therapy work to take a break from our yeah. relationship, which was incredibly hard. And I had about six months away from her and it enabled me to put myself in control of the relationship instead of her kind of calling the shots and yeah. dipping in and out of as and when she pleased I could then go back to it on my terms which I've now done and both of us have now agreed that actually that time apart enabled us to truly come back together and I, I think it was one of the, the best things I've ever done I actually feel really loved by my mum now which I, I didn't in the past and I used to withhold love from her because I didn't feel it and we've had we've actually talked about this stuff now and I'm able to express love to her she can do it to me and you know, we were both making each other worse yeah. and it needed that break that boundary to be able to then come back to it and I was talking about this with a client today we are so often more vulnerable with those that are not close to us we can be vulnerable on things like Instagram or on a podcast or where it's faceless but with our parents or our spouse sometimes it feels so difficult because if again it's a control thing if I just keep my shit together everything's going to be okay and it but there's massive strength in vulnerability um there really is but it's so difficult sometimes to share with your mother and tell tell her exactly your what you're feeling and how you're feeling and why you're feeling it absolutely to be able to do that's amazing and when I remember sort of sitting down with her again this was during therapy when I was doing therapy and actually saying to her how I felt about how she brought me up and really getting into the detail of it and I I kind of in hindsight wish I'd said it a bit differently because it just all blurted out in one yeah. big go and I said that you were a crap mother and I don't think you did a great job but it, it was the catalyst for us both going on a journey that resulted in getting to a place where the relationship is so so much better and a lot of people get stuck with that I, I've spent a year and a half in a fantastic men's therapy group and there were a couple of guys in there who never got to the stage where they were able to say what they needed to say to their parents a lot of and all the ones who did were able to move forward and to make real progress yeah and I go back to this thing of we can do hard things I don't know if Linda's on tonight but this is a favorite phrase we can do hard things and quite often the hard thing is having that conversation with somebody that you don't want to have um but doing it does allow you to move forward yeah, the worst thing you can do is when it's all about making the uncomfortable become comfortable. When those things come up that fill you with fear and yeah. you just don't want to do it, that's the time when you sort of face towards it instead of thinking, I'm just going to drink a bottle of wine. That'll get yeah. rid of it because it yeah. doesn't. Linda is on. She's commented. Um, Carolyn said, I think he's having an impact on my husband. He does drink fewer days a week now, which is brilliant. And she said, of course, when you've been drinking with partners for years, it can be a challenge. We need to be unwavering in our decision. Mm -hmm. Yeah, That's so true, isn't it? And Judy said, put, Judy said, putting the alcohol down is life changing. The minute you put your last drink down, you're free. Don't buy it. Don't pour it. Don't drink it. Keep saying it daily. And also Judy shared a comment um, on one of the recent lives and and she said what in, what in my I can't remember how it quite goes but it was nothing I do today needs alcohol or something that's her like favorite. That. yeah nothing today will be made better by alcohol I think that's yeah Judy. that's it yeah I think that's um, brilliant yeah absolutely and just keep on repeating that mantra and it is true like I am going through some real hard stuff but I keep on going back to that nothing today requires alcohol nothing today will be made by, better by alcohol and yeah. I never regret staying sober 
and how, how will it help me? How will it yeah. add, add to my day? It no. won't. No. And this is the thing. Once you start realising that alcohol is interfering with your life and it's causing problems, having negative consequences, you never, ever get what you used to get from alcohol. No. The trade-off becomes different. You're not, yeah, you get 30, 40 minutes of numbing out, maybe a bit longer. There's always negative consequences. You always end up feeling shame, guilt, all the rest of it. It isn't worth it when you map it out on a piece, like write it down on a piece of paper. Absolutely. I say like, have a look, like look at that glass of wine. Yes. So you might get that, as you said, the few minutes of real gratification, but look at the glass of wine and see what it's truly filled with. It's filled with guilt, with shame, with hating yourself, with bad relationships. There is so much more to that glass of wine than just the glass of wine. Yeah, absolutely. And at the end of the day, I've said this before, it's a drug. Drugs have to have an upside or nobody would buy them. So know that. No, it's a drug. And every drug comes with a trade-off. It comes with a consequence, a a, a negative effect. Uh, And often we don't, you know, we think negative effects, that's a hangover. But there's so much more like you just described. Yeah, absolutely. And sobriety just offers the exact opposite. The opposite. The uh, opposite, yeah. Exactly. Right. Alexandra said, right, my goal now is to be completely abstinent by the end of these podcasts. <laughs> Fantastic. I don't, don't try not to use the word abstinent, Alexandra, because I sort of that sounds like a bit of a punishment. Like try to think of it to adopt free. An alcohol, yeah, an alcohol free lifestyle. You're going to be free, free, free. And it is just the most empowering thing you'll do. It totally is. Lorenza said, this is helping me so much. I've only been five days sober. I do prefer staying by myself now. All my friends drink. So now I'm just doing some self-care stuff like reading and a lot of meditation. Yeah. And as Simon said, your groups will change. Like you start looking for things that are not centered around alcohol. I started climbing. I do a lot of yoga. I go hiking with people. These people drink, but not in the situations that we are. And in fact, three and a half years later, I find that my close friend group it's like the universe sent me all these people that really don't drink um my friend Helen has been sober for 25 years Uh, I have another friend he really doesn't drink it and it it really feels like the universe has given me what I need so it will happen it just might take some time and there might be a bit of a bumpy road in between but know that it will happen and actually the opposite of addiction is connection and so what you know try and avoid isolating yourself one of the things that I do I keep a chart a paper chart on my desk at work and it's got a bunch of my self-care stuff on it like have I had breakfast have I taken my vitamins have I connected with other people and socialized have I exercised and I can see from the data that I've collected over the months that I've been keeping this that when I connect with others when I socialize I feel better because I track my mood on there as well. When I exercise, I feel better. So I think it's really good to sort of learn your self-care routine and and actually gather data on a daily basis, either in a journal or on a chart of some description where you're sort of working out, well, what is it I need? What do I need daily? What do I need a couple of times a week? Uh, And and you'll get to that place where you know your self-care routine, you know what you need. Yeah, absolutely. And you will find people that give you a natural dopamine hit where you're not searching for this fake dopamine hit from uh, alcohol. Go where the good energy is. People that, that fill that up for you, that fill that energy. 
actually, and Oliver's just made a good point on the uh, YouTube comments where, where Lorenzo said, I'm only five days sober. He said, there is no only, five you are five sober. days. Yeah, like, and I say like ten, the 10 day, first 10 days is the most difficult. Know that that will get easier, but you're halfway through that difficult phase. So just keep on going. It's going to get easier from here. Yeah, and I think William Porter in Alcohol Explained, the book, he talks about how after around seven to 10 days, we become 60 to 70% more mentally resilient, yeah. able to cope with things that used to phase us. You might even feel that starting to happen and, yeah. and th you know, things starting to just feel a bit easier. I call it your tiger blood. You suddenly, I think it's the weekends, isn't it? You get two weekends under your belt because they're the real difficult periods for people like oh, I'll just drink at the weekends not during the week it's fairly easy but when you can get those two weekends in and you know that you can pass those weekends without drinking you start to feel like huh, I can do this I can do anything that I want yeah exactly that that's so true and and then as you go forward and you start having these milestones you know the first time you go out socially the first yep. time you you know you meet up with friends go to a wedding whatever it might be you just become stronger and stronger yep. and you've done it first christmas the first new year's eve yeah so, yeah, so true. Uh, Leroy said, I'm just beginning this journey. Quick question, please. Do non-alcoholic beers, spirits, etc., keep you hooked mentally? I hope this makes sense. Um, this is, I don't know about you, but I find this is a real kind of split in people. I didn't drink any alcohol-free drinks for the first like 12 months. I just drank water because I was on a bit of a health journey. Now I love alcohol-free alternatives, but I do find that they're a trigger for some people. Yeah, I, my view is pretty much the same. I'm a big fan of them. Mm -hmm. And I think it's about just experimenting, finding something that you love. What worked for me was not just picking up the alcohol-free version of the same thing that I used to drink. So I used to drink red wine every single night. Mm -hmm. And if I'd gone to alcohol-free red wine, I think that could have potentially been triggering for me. So I started looking at things like Seedlip and some of the alcohol-free botanicals. I love those and I still drink them now. The only thing I don't love is the price of them because some of them cost a fortune. They're like 25 euros a bottle for alcohol-free. So I don't, I don't share mine. I've said this before, when my children kind of go, can I have that? That makes me feel uncomfortable because they are alcohol-free alternatives and I'll say, no, you can't. And they're like, why not? Well, one, I feel like it is kind of a stepping stone somehow, the association, but also the price of them, without a doubt. It's too expensive to share with kids. Um, exactly. And the alcohol-free wine, I've realised I don't even like the taste of wine. I used to drink it by the bottle full and now just the smell of it makes me like, oh my God, it smells toxic. Yeah, exactly. But it is about finding what works for you. And I, I definitely think that the tip of steering clear of the alcohol free version of what you were drinking before is sensible explore some of the spirits the botanicals the alcohol free yeah. ones of Listen, course great and also for me i like it i feel like people will come to my house and i will have alternatives like mocktails or the yeah the seed like all those kind of things and it's still you've still got that ritual that connection with people that we have the fancy glass we have the ice we have this and it still feels like that nice ritual of sharing a drink together. Yeah, exactly. And of course, there's other alcohol-free drinks. Like I, I love ginger tea with honey yeah. in it. You know, I'll often drink that in the evening. That's an alcohol-free drink. Yeah, I tonic water. Like I just like anything slightly bitter. 
um yeah there's so there's all the soft drinks orangina <laughs> pick up anything yeah. yeah so you can make your own recipes and i remember i when i when i went to the us they they when i went they didn't have a very good supply of alcohol free drinks they're slowly catching up and i went in target the supermarket over over in america and they just didn't have anything and i was probably 12 months sober and it was part of my routine having an alcohol free drink and i bought some tonic water and then i found some cocktail mixer syrup you know the syrup they put yeah. to make the to hide the alcohol taste in cocktails so i just got some of that and just made my own little alcohol free cocktail and it was great yeah absolutely so there's there's plenty of things you can do get creative and make it fun enjoy yeah. it um, yeah, so Leroy was, was uh, grateful for that. A few people also on YouTube saying that alcohol-free drinks were my lifesaver. I love an adult alcohol-free drink. Yeah. Alexandra said, I find them triggering, which, as Ellen said, some people do, and it's important to find out what works for you. Um, Carolyn said, I've yet to find a decent alcohol-free wine. Yeah, I, as I said, not my go-to at all. I love the alcohol-free beers, to be honest, in the summer. I, and ironically, France, which has the biggest um, consumption of alcohol in the world, I think, amount of adults that drink, we have a fantastic range of alcohol-free drinks and the alcohol-free beers are, are amazing here. And I love it in the summer, nice, cold, alcohol-free beer. And people that come to my house, they'll quite happily drink the alcohol-free beer. What's not to love, really, you're drinking it, you've got the taste of it and you no hangover whatsoever. The only thing I would say is if you're on a bit of a health kick and you're giving up alcohol for that reason, because that was my reason to start off with, they're still laden with calories. So if you can yeah. stick to water, stick to water, it's still much better for you. Yeah, that's true. And it, it's also good to see like with a lot of the major sporting events now, the likes of Heineken, Peroni, they've really been pushing the 0% yeah. option. So it, it's becoming... It's taken away the stigma that some people have around sobriety and it's making it, it's normalizing it, it's making it mainstream. It's cool to be alcohol free these days. It is. And anyone that's going into a bar, I say this over and over again, go in and go in proud. Like I am alcohol free. I am the consumer in here. I am the customer. What can you offer me? The, the bars and the restaurants need to up their game when it comes to providing alcohol-free drinks. It shouldn't just be a, a juice fruit mocktail that they're selling for the same price as a cocktail. They need to start stocking some of these good alcohol-free yeah. drinks. A vote with your feet. You know, yeah. if people aren't, aren't offering decent alcohol-free alternatives, then go somewhere that does. <laughs> um, Linda actually said, I'm going to a sushi place today that mixes their own alcohol-free cocktails, lemon, grass, and mint. So that sounds pretty cool. Yeah, very nice. It's making me hungry. <laughs> <laughs> right we better wrap up so that's the end of episode two of season two and we'll be back again next week live on youtube if you're subscribed to my newsletter i always send out a link to it so that you can join it's great that we can do this in front of a live audience and if you're listening back let us know what you think of the podcast send us a message on social media so we will see you all again very very soon next week bye bye Done.